Welcome to the Money Hour with Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to The Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, September 9th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. My goal is to keep you up to date on the latest news and trends in our local economy. Keep me tuned in and I will keep you informed. If you're hearing my show at a different day or time, you're listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have in the show today. Please call the show at one 855 Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. And my lineup for today's show, Kim Frazier with John L. Scott, and we're going to be talking about marketing, pricing, and listing strategies for any of you sellers out there, as well as buyers that are thinking of selling, it's nice to know behind the scenes how the sellers are strategizing with their price. Also in studio, I have Jeff Butler with Hari's Lake City Collision. Automobile property damage claims, are you the victim of unsafe repairs? And last guest in studio, Gary Castle with Mountaintop Advisors, investing in low interest rate world. Great information and great guest in studio today. For more information on any topic discussed or future topics you'd like me to bring into the show, please call at one 855 Again, that's one 855 or you can always go online at themoneyhour.com. And for a little bit of Money Chat. Money. Money. I wanted to chat a little bit about low appraisals and possible solution for that. If you're in the market looking for uh, real estate properties right now, there is a, a potential or a small chance that you might have an appraisal value issue. So understanding maybe a solution that might be available for you instead of that transaction falling apart altogether. In today's market, with the rapid appreciation, it's sometimes challenging for the appraiser to support the purchase price or value of your home. Today, I'd like to provide a possible solution. Solution for de- to decrease your down payment and do maybe a buyout out of mortgage insurance. So if you're at contract at a $500,000 purchase price and you're doing a 20% down payment, 80% loan to value, most clients are looking at accomplishing that if possible to avoid paying private mortgage insurance. That would put your loan amount at $400,000, which would be a down payment of $100,000. So let's say after the appraisal, the value comes in at $480,000. So it's shy $20,000 from what the actual price that you agreed to pay the seller for. You can lend and borrow up to 85% instead of the original 80% that you wanted, which would put your loan amount at $408,000 versus the original idea that you had at $400,000. Now, with a down payment, $2,272,000 versus the $100,000 you were planning to come in with, plus the shortage of the appraisal of $20,000, that brings it up to $92,000. Now, you would have a buyout of mortgage insurance. A lot of consumers don't know that this option's available. They think they have to pay private mortgage insurance by a monthly PMI. You don't have to actually do that. You can do a buyout. In this example, I'm estimating the buyout at $3,100. So now that brings your cash to closing to $95,100. It's actually $4,900 less than you originally were planning at the 20% down of $100,000. Now, the mortgage payment difference, 
At contract, if the property appraised at five hundred thousand with your original loan amount of four hundred thousand, just using an interest rate of four percent hypothetical, there's a lot of factors obviously that are going to affect the interest rate uh, disclosure needed. Principal and interest would be nineteen oh nine. After the appraisal, with the actual value of four eighty and your loan amount, which we said was four oh eight, principal and interest would be nineteen forty seven. So the difference is thirty eight dollars a month. Finance the buyout because you could decide to do that. It just increases your payment by $15 a month. So to wrap this up, $4,900 less at cash, $38 a month higher on the mortgage payment. It's a really great solution. And that's really what things are all about is finding there's always, almost always, a solution to every problem and challenge out there. It's just understanding that there's options and working with a professional that can help you navigate through the process. And that's really what my show is all about. It's bringing in experts in every area regarding financing. I'm your expert when it comes to mortgages. Um, But that's what I do. So I want to bring you a group of people in every area so that you can make sure that you're looking at all the options and you always have solutions. Now, going back to the low appraisal. The options that are available if you're not getting creative with the financing is the seller can reduce the price by $20,000 because that's what the appraisal came in low. That is not going to happen in this market. The second option is you, as the buyer, keeps the agreed price and comes in with the additional $16,000 at closing. You can do that, but a lot of people don't have the additional cash or don't want to have to liquidate the additional cash. Um, Buyer you puts a lower down payment to 15%, which we just talked about, which seems like a really great option. Um, The only other option that you have is you walk away from the transaction. Um, But So there's a solution for you. Now, tips for an agent to help uh, with avoiding low appraisals. And I brought this into Money Chat, just talked about this. I actually had an expert in, uh, industry leader in the appraisal arena to talk about this and kind of help the appraiser through the process, is to be prepared to share all the data that you have with the appraiser. So your real estate professional is putting a lot of data data together to show you as a buyer what the property is valued at and to prepare moving forward. The listing agent that represents the seller is gathering all that data as well to help the seller determine where to list their price at what price. Um, So that data is already there. Provide it to the appraiser. Be prepared with a CO detector and things that you have to do so that you're not making the job easier for the appraiser or the appraiser's not having to go back out to the property. Accurate information on the MLS for the listing is really important for the appraiser as well. Uh, call the appraiser prior to the appointment to introduce yourself and offer your services just to really be able to connect with that appraiser, find out what the appraiser he or she needs to help with the value, make sure he's got all the data again that he needs. Um, return the appraiser's call promptly. Um, that's common common sense to be courteous there and be kind and respectful with the challenges that the appraiser may have in doing their job with the increases that we're seeing in our value. So remember the appraisers are, the appraiser is coming up with an appraiser's opinion. Opinion can vary. So making that story and pulling things together can make it easy for the appraiser. And that's what I have for Money Chat. Coming up next on The Money are marketing, pricing, and listing strategies. I have a real estate expert and a great friend of mine, Kim Frazier, with John L. Scott, right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Are you tired of wasting your hard-earned dollars on rent to pay off someone else's home and at the same time losing out on the tax benefits in the process? Kim Frazier with John L. Scott has assisted over 800 individuals and families just like yours in obtaining the dream of home ownership. Kim has been practicing real estate since 2002 and is recognized in the top 1% of all real estate brokers. Kim is well-equipped to assist you whether you are a first-time buyer or a move-up buyer looking to achieve your real estate goals. 
Hi, I'm Kim Frazier and I would love to assist you with your real estate needs. Please feel free to call me at 425-209-5638 or you can find me online at KimberlyFrazier.com. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, September night show. I am committed to providing you the knowledge needed to be successful in every area regarding your finances. Knowledge is power, and that's what you'll receive from listening to the show today. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can always call the show at one 855 411150. Again, that's 1855 411150 or online at themoneyhour.com with any questions that you have or if you'd like to connect with the guests that I have in studio. And right now, I'm going to have a conversation with Kim Frazier with John L. Scott, marketing, pricing, and listing strategies. Kim, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Thank you for having me. And a little bit about Kim. Kim Frazier is local realtor who works at John L. Scott in downtown Bellevue. Kim has just celebrated her 15th year with John L. Scott and is in the top 1% of all brokers within John L. Scott. She has sold over 900 homes in her career and loves helping people with real estate needs. She has also earned credentials as accredited staging professional as well as certified luxury home marketing specialist and definitely deserving to be here today and represent the arena of uh, buyers and sellers in the real estate arena. And um, Kim, I'm really excited about the topic, marketing, pricing, and listing strategies, because a lot of times sellers feel, because the market is so crazy, that they can get whatever they want for their home, and it really doesn't matter to strategize. The reality is, is you can lose just as much by not strategizing in this market as you can in a buyer's market. So, Kim, why is it important to hire a realtor with a proven track record and marketing plan that is familiar with the community? Well, one of the reasons that you want to hire a local expert is different regions vary um, as far as pricing, strategy. Um, obviously, the east side in Seattle market's a little bit more competitive than farther mm-hmm. north and farther south. So how you approach your pricing, um, your comp stays on market, um, whether you're doing a multiple offer review period, the east side in Seattle, definitely. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the south end, um, you'll see that you'll see it a lot less. I would say almost every listing in the east side in Seattle has a three to five day review period once it gets listed and they review offers daily they list it on a Thursday. They review all the offers either Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday typically. Mm-hmm. Um, in the south end or farther north, um, you sometimes can shoot yourself in the foot, maybe 30 to 50% have an offer review period just okay. because the market times are a little bit longer typically in those markets or if they um, overprice the listing. Yeah. You know, they can be stale, dated, and then people are like, oh, it didn't get multiple offers. Yes. If it didn't get multiple offers, then they automatically, you know, oh, you know, you assume after that three or five day window, then it's worth less because it didn't get the offers they were anticipating. So sometimes you can, sh- you can shoot yourself in the foot a little bit. Makes sense. A little sense. overzealous. And the, the uh, period, the review period, why do they do that? To collect offers and try to drive the price Makes up. Makes sense. And sometimes I, I struggle with this with some of my sellers because I have clients who think their houses are worth 10 to 20% mm-hmm. more. I'll give them a recommended list price. 
um, with the hopes of them eventually, you know, coming down or coming to their senses and realizing that the market won't support their price. Yes. But this season, um, I found that some of my my listings are pretty stubborn where you're like, well, I haven't gotten any showings. Uh I'm like, well, because your house is overpriced, like 10 or 20 percent. And they sometimes get offended Mm -hmm. and then or they don't want to compete against themselves and shoot themselves in the foot, they tell me. But if you don't have anybody coming through your door and we've got all these great marketing pieces in place, there's nothing more I can do as an agent. My hands are tied. Yes. So so important to listen to what your your agent expert is saying. So, Kim, why should you have your realtor provide their marketing plan and strategy prior to listing your home? Biggest thing is so there's um, no miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to know kind of a detailed plan of what their action plan is going to be from start to finish. You know, um, how many days does the agent need to prepare their listing for sale? So a lot of times you've got to kind of work your way backwards. You want to put it on middle of the month. You know, it's maybe take, you know, three days, five days, seven days, depending on what the agent, you know, has in, in regards to marketing, uh, aerial photography, Matterports, virtual tours, those types of things mm-hmm. that take preparation, getting the photographer scheduled, getting the sign up. We have a new, even a sign requirement um, the last six months in Washington that every, we used to be able to put a sign request in and the sign was up the next day. Okay. Well, now we have to notify that company, call before you dig. So the sign company, we let them know. And then it takes three call business days. <laughs> yeah, because apparently they were uh-huh. hitting some things other than sprinkler systems. So they come out and mark the property and uh-huh. it's like a $5,000 fine or five or 10. I think it's $5,000 wow. fine if you dig a sign post without having it properly marked. It's pretty steep. So that's one thing that, you know, if you're not proactive and planning yes. out, that's even having from the sign that's going to hold your flyers at the front of the listing, Yep, yes. starting it all the way forward. So you want to kind of know what the strategy is, what the timeline is, um, what the expectation is. Um, probably smart to look at pricing expectations as well, especially if a client is um, confident their house is going to worth more uh-huh. than what the realtor is suggesting. Um, smart because we spend thousands and thousands of dollars marketing these properties. And sometimes I, you know, they'll just light money on fire. You know, yes. it's nice to have a listing, but sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot. So it's nice if you have a strategic pricing plan. If they don't get that offer in price as an agent, it would be smart to have that agreement up front. So you're not having to have the awkward conversation 30 or 60 days down the road if it hadn't sold. Of course. So Kim, what about your recommendation for properties that don't have uh, comparable properties or unique properties, um, homes overbuilt or underbuilt in a community? How do you kind of strategize around your price with those? Those are the most difficult. Obviously, mm-hmm. the cookie cutter of the neighborhood, um, easy because every third house is the same house. So within a, you know, usually five or 10% margin, you can pretty much hit a price depending on upgrades and comps and short sale foreclosure, which we don't see a ton of in our market anymore. Yes. But um, so you kind of thought that was a tough 10, that was 10 years ago. And that was a tough, <laughs> was a tough few years there. Yeah. So um, it's amazing what you can live through. So, um, so a lot of times I recommend, you know, if I can't find anything, I mean, sometimes I scout, you know, you scour everything, the MLS. Um, sometimes I recommend an appraisal, just going yes. ahead and, and hiring the appraiser. And I offer to split the cost with them. You know, especially if we're having kind of a discrepancy on price, uh-huh. you know, I don't, I just let them know I'll credit them afterwards because I'm not going to pay for the appraisal up front. Of course. And then all of a sudden it doesn't sell and then uh-huh. I'm out, you know, 500 or a thousand dollars. So depending on the price point, I might offer to pay for the full appraisal, you know, at closing or uh-huh. split the cost with them depending on price point and what the commission sure. is going to be in the commission structure. Um, because that way the appraisers just have a more detailed, you know, nitty gritty um, look and off market things a little, they can find off market listings and sales a little bit better than we can uh-huh. as agents. I mean, not that I couldn't go through the county records. I don't have time. Yes. I'd rather pay $500 and let have someone else do, come that. do it. Yes. Yeah. Not my favorite thing to do. 
So give a little bit about your your magic around uh, coming up with a price for mm-hmm. a home because it really is a strategy and it takes mm-hmm. expertise, it takes um, strategy and just really understanding what to do and what's happening in that actual market right. to find out how to strategize. So what is your what is your magic sauce? Well, you kind of have to look at, you know, days on market in a specific community. Like I mm-hmm. said, the east side and Seattle market is going to move a lot faster typically unless you're overpriced. And there are still houses, you know, and obviously east side, anything under million goes in a second. Yes. Um, depending on different parts of Bellevue, you know, West Bellevue, you can't find anything you want to live in for probably 1.8 or 2 million in a single family home that's mm-hmm. not, you know, 50 years old and a three bedroom, one bath, probably under 1.5 million because cost of dirt now, a building lot's probably 1.2 million in West Bellevue. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Lake Mont, um, I think that moves pretty quickly at like one, two, one, three and under. Somerset, you know, mm-hmm. anything under one, five. You start getting to those price points where you're getting close to two million and up. You know, there's fewer buyers in the buyer pool. Yes. So I think the higher price points, you have to be more strategic in um, trying to get as close as possible for pricing. Yeah. And um, because the days on market are typically just going to be longer because you have a smaller buyer pool. And it's hard too because it's a moving target. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really you're the price is kind of adjusting or the value of that home is adjusting with what's happening Absolutely. right now, which is a moving target. Yeah, it's it's Absolutely. crazy. And what, what what things close for? I mean, there's yes. some beautiful homes over there, one seven, one eight, and you would think that they're and who's in the market at that time? Yes. Yeah. And now we're going into yeah. you know fall and winter. Um, typically less inventory, typically fewer buyers, you know, most people aren't super excited about moving in the holidays unless they have Mm -hmm. to, or they're, you know, very specific in their move or they move into the area. So you have to be, I think, a little bit more strategic in your pricing now than maybe March, April, May, when, you know, influx of people, buyers, people are trying to do it before school starts, things like that. Yeah. So Kim, what about um, the risk of overpricing? I see it every day. Yeah. Um, and I work a lot in the Lake Taps market down south. And, you know, anything under a million, you know, I've sold pretty easily this year. I have five listings over a million and one have sold. Uh-huh. And that's kind of the strategy I'm having with some of my clients. I think the three that are out there are probably one hundred fifty dollars to $200,000 high in price. Um, and not every mm. house sells. So when you get to that luxury marketing arena, whether it's a million five in Lake Taps or yes. it's $3 million in Bellevue, your buyer pool shrinks. And so the more either you wait out the season and mm-hmm. it's going to take a season or two, depending on where your location is. But pricing is very, very crucial, especially when you're at the upper tier or whatever community that you're working on, your buyer pool is just going to be smaller in general. Yeah. And let's talk about um, photography and, and really mastering that mm-hmm. in how important is that in the market? Presentation's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, say five years ago, we would still go out and take our own pictures. You know, have a nice Canon, you know, camera and beautiful, yeah, yes. you know, very nice quality photography. I was never taking pictures with my iPhone or anything like uh-huh. that. But um, probably I would say in the last three to five years, it's becoming more increasingly important um, to get the professional photographer out there. They run anywhere from probably 300 to $600 a shoot for each house. But um, just the crispness, the quality of the photography really yeah. lends itself to having the house um, show in its best light. I saw on Facebook yesterday, another realtor um, posted a picture in a community that we both work in. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, my gosh, they took a picture. It was on the MLS, but from the driver's seat 
with their iPhone through oh, the car window. window. And you can even see like the window frame out the passenger side window. And I got like <gasps> half the house and that was the main photo on the MLS. And we were just dying. Wow. So, I mean, you're still seeing that. First impression like a, is yeah, important. Five, six hundred thousand dollar listing. So, oh my gosh. yeah. So you really want to make sure, you know, spend three to five hundred dollars. Um, money well spent yeah. as far as marketing So it's a great listing. question. If you're, if you're a seller, it's a great question to ask your agent in during the listing presentation, are you going to hire a professional photographer mm-hmm. um, so that you know that they're they're going with the, the quality yeah. and what's needed? And always ask to see their work too. Just say who, who yes. you plan on using if it's within a couple of photographers. It's great a, advice. Yeah. Not a bad question to ask. Yeah. So Kim, what about new trends in listing presentation? Well, one of the things that we've implemented in the last couple of years, um, we bought a several thousand dollar drone that we fly over for all of our listings, unless it's really going to be a disservice to the listing. Um, So we've got, it's really kind of cool, get the rooftop, the backyard, what's behind there, you know, those types of things. So we do aerial photography. We also have that new 3D technology Matterport we do for all of our listings, which is a 3D tour. It's very important when you have international or out of area buyers, Mm, depending on what market you have, because they can literally walk through the house like they were there. It's it's an incredible yeah, 3D tour. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. It does the floor plan. It does a dollhouse view. So those are things in addition to just your regular MLS photos and marketing okay. and a virtual tour that we do as well. So those are all services that really take it up a notch and get you the most exposure as possible as a seller. Yes. And so print material. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what are you doing for that? Always top notch. Um, you're never going to see like a little regular piece of paper fly yes. in my flyer box. You know, everything's heavy cardstock, two-sided, full gloss. Mm. Um, you want it to be people to pull the flyer out of the flyer box and not have them stick together. UV coating's good. Because other times, sometimes with this weather, people don't shut the box and they glue together. So uh, that's very important. The presentation not only is a reflection upon the house, but it's a yes, reflection upon the agent. Makes total sense. And that's going to help bring along an agent more business and also represent the house in its best light to yes. the community. Yeah. So with technology, everybody knows everyone has access to the properties through mm-hmm. the MLS um, consumer as well as all the real estate professionals right. out there. Um, but brokers opens and mm-hmm. uh, to show and showcase that property. Mm-hmm. How important is that? You know, to be honest with you, with new technology, I'd say 20 years ago, very important. Uh-huh. Today, not as important. So okay. I wouldn't be, I don't attend brokers opens. It's not that... I'm just too busy. It's not the highest and best use of my time. Yes. Unless it's a $5 million house in West Bellevue that I'm not going to be able to get into unless I came to that broker's open where Uh the agent has to be present. It's probably a waste of my time just because most of the buyers that I have um, would be, I can see online with good photography, things like that, if it's a buyer for that buyer pool. So I I don't think they're usually well attended, even in the east side markets. Some markets are better than others, but... I don't think it's going to make the house sell. Yeah. So, Kim, I've got less than a minute here with you to wrap things up. Um, Disadvantage, advantage of open house. Um, Open houses, once again, um, certain markets are, you know, heavily trafficked for open houses. East side in Seattle, still very, very popular. Um, Open houses, I can have anywhere between 70 and 100 people through in a weekend. Um, A lot of agents will just send their clients. They don't have to go out there. So they're like, go look Uh at all these open houses. And then Uh you get offers coming in from them. There are some security risks involved with open houses, both from a real estate perspective or a theft perspective. Yes. So it's very, very important to any prescription medication, firearms, jewelry, all of those things that cannot be replaced or you don't want to have anybody have their hands on. Because an agent, we can't be everywhere in the house at once. You have 50 people in the house and you just, you know, they go everywhere. So security is very important. So make sure you put all your valuables away. Makes total sense. Kim, thank you so much thank for you. coming in. It's great how much information we can get through in such a short period of Good time. Good fast talkers. Exactly. <laughs> coming up next on the Money Hour, automobile property damage claims. Are you the victim of unsafe repairs? Well, I have Jeff Butler with Harley Lake City Collision right here on 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
Are you tired of wasting your hard-earned dollars on rent to pay off someone else's home and at the same time losing out on the tax benefits in the process? Kim Frazier with John L. Scott has assisted over 800 individuals and families just like yours in obtaining the dream of home ownership. Kim has been practicing real estate since 2002 and is recognized in the top 1% of all real estate brokers. Kim is well equipped to assist you whether you are a first-time buyer or a move-up buyer looking to achieve your real estate goals. Hi, I'm Kim Frazier and I would love to assist you with your real estate needs. Please feel free to call me at 425-209-5638 or you can find me online at KimberlyFrazier.com. Hi, my name is Gary Castle from Mountaintop Advisors, LLC. I'm a licensed, registered, and insured investment advisor and fiduciary. I help small businesses and families in the Puget Sound area with their retirement plans and sorting through the various investment options that can be so confusing. Every type of investment has risks, so it's helpful to have a 30-year professional helping guide you through the confusing and conflicting options that you have these days. My area of specialty is in adding alternative investments to your accounts to reduce risks and possibly increase your gains. These are complementary investments that do not go up and down with the stock and bond markets that most investors already own. By adding these additional types of investments such as real estate investment trusts, business development companies, commodities and others, we increase your safety by increasing your diversification. Why put all of your eggs in two baskets when you can split them into four or more? Visit me, Gary Castle at mtadvisors.net, mountaintopadvisors, or call me at 253-332-0734. Securities are offered through Titan Securities, member SIPC, and FINRA. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM, KKNW, the Saturday, September night show. I provide you news on everything money, fresh information on market trends and conditions in our local economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at one 855 411150 or go online to themoneyhour.com to get connected with my guest or talk with uh, your host if you'd like to. And in studio right now, Jeff Butler with Hari's Lake City Collision Automobile Property Damage Claims. And the question I want to ask you today, are you a victim of unsafe repairs? Or do you want to make sure you're not a victim of unsafe repairs? That's exactly. what I'm going to be having a conversation with my guest. Jeff, thank you so much. First time in studio with me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, a little bit about Jeff. Uh, Hari Lake City Collision and Collision Consulting of Washington. Jeff Butler grew up working with his family restaurant from the age of 12 till after high school. After graduating high school, he pursued an aviation mechanics license and business degree, working as an auto restoration specialist since 1991. He restored vintage vehicles such as Alfa Romeo, Porsche, and BMW until moving his business to Lake City. Uh, Today, Jeff operates Hari Lake City Collision and OEM Certified Collision Repair Center as well as his appraisal and accident inspection company, Collision Consulting of Washington. Jeff inspects wrecked and repaired vehicle to verify correct repairs, write appraisals for total loss claims, diminish value claims, and dispute repair claims. Did I give a good description of the comparison between the two? You betcha. Okay, perfect. So uh, starting out, are you the victim of unsafe repairs, and how would you even know? 
Well, that's a great question, and most people don't. Uh, most of the people that come to see us at Collision Consulting of Washington, mm-hmm. they're looking for diminished value, uh, which is recovering the lost market value of their vehicle after a loss, or their lawyer has said, hey, I want your car inspected to know that all of the damage is, has been repaired or not, because that impacts how somebody views what an injury is. Yeah. Um, so most people aren't upset people that are like, hey, something's wrong with my car. It's the it's people that think everything's in, is fine. And what we find out is they're not. And the statistics we have at our company, we, at one point about a year and a half ago, we, we said, hey, let's culminate the data. And we'll, uh-huh. what are the numbers? Because, boy, there's a lot of bad stuff. And our numbers, uh, well, I'll just read them and then I'll draw a comparison. But 45% of the vehicles we inspected that had been in a real collision, not a little uh-huh. scratch on the bumper, um, 45%, we found so much remaining damage, structural and frame damage, the wow. cars were declared a total loss. These are cars driving down the road and people thought they were fine. Oh my gosh, that is crazy. 55% of those vehicles had remaining frame and structural damage. 90% had workmanship issues. These mm-hmm. statistics in Washington mirror a study by the California Bureau of Automotive Repair, well, four or five years ago, where they studied 800 vehicles and found very, very similar statistics. So the yeah. likelihood is people think, I had a rack, everything's fine now there's a good chance that it's not. And it impacts safety and it impacts value. So another another expert and another reason to consult and have an expert on your side so that you've got somebody that protects and understands um, the process. Totally. I mean, similar like the, the real estate appraiser conversation, yes, right? You, you yes. need an expert. Exactly. So Jeff, why should you never purchase a used vehicle without a pre-inspection from an expert in collision repair? Yeah. So reflecting on the comments I just made about uh-huh. our accident inspection services, you're buying a vehicle, you want to know that it's a safe vehicle, and you want to know that it's worth what you think or you're going to pay for it. Yes. Nobody wants a lemon of a vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want to know you're buying a good vehicle. I've inspected dozens of vehicles that my, my customers are like, hey, I'm thinking about buying this. There was so much damage, these cars were totaled, wow. right? And it just this, this is a car for sale on the internet or wherever it is. Yes. Most mechanics have no idea. They have no training experience around body and collision. They can tell you if you know the brakes and the suspension are good. They don't know anything about the body. So if you're buying a used car, you really need to get a qualified professional that has body collision experience to do a pre-purchase inspection. So Jeff, how do you know if your insurance company is settling your claim fairly? So we work in and around automobile property damage, collision consulting, um, of Washington, that's where I write appraisals. I testify as an expert. Um, You know, until you have a loss, you don't know what you bought. Yes. Right. And and all insurance companies, well, they're different. Um, and uh, but what you'll know is if you're settling a total loss, for instance, your car's total loss, and you, know, you need to do some research so you know what it a real value is, a fair value. Yeah. And ask the insurance company how they generated their value, so you have a real comparison. And you just so you know, consumers don't understand they have the right to dispute that. Yes. If you disagree. Yes. You, there's ways you can dispute your settlement. doesn't mean you have to wait until the dispute's done to get payment. Yes. You can get what's called the undisputed portion of the loss, mm-hmm. and then you can demand appraisal. Most insurance policies have what's called an appraisal clause. Mm-hmm. You can invoke your right of appraisal, hire an expert, and dispute the insurance company's 
uh, value, yes. and I've helped clients get thousands, tens yeah. of thousands in some circumstances. Well, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak, and I got connected with you because of our own personal thing. My husband's yeah. truck literally blew up, so of course it was totaled, and um, we got connected, and I mean, $8,000 difference from what the value was from the um, the insurance company after they appraised to find out really what the value should be, and it was a really easy process um, to go through. So uh, yes, I'm, I've gone through it personally myself. So Jeff, how do you protect yourself after... Um, a car accident. Well, so here's a place that most consumers screw up. They just they just don't know what to do here. So I mean, this is super important. Take notes um, at the scene of an accident. Um, get get out of your car. Don't move it if if you can. It's not where you don't jeopardize safety. But uh, take pictures of the accident scene. 360 degree view. Convince people that know nothing about this accident that you're in the right. Right. And, and they can see from the photos how the parts scattered across the road, where the vehicles are located. There's no question about liability. If you don't do that, it leaves liability determination up to someone else and they have an incentive to find it against you. Right. Get yeah. lots of pictures of the accident scene, multiple angles, close up and far away. Get pictures of the vehicle damage. Right. So you can see your vehicle, someone else's. Um, up close and far away so you can establish what happened. Remember, insurance adjusters are trained to minimize claims costs. Yeah. This includes liability decisions. You know, they're, incent- they're incentivized to find in favor of what's best for them. Of course. Uh, insurance claims and repairs. Uh, so number one best advice ever, <clears throat> get it in writing. Communicate in writing only with the insurance company. It's the best advice I can tell anyone. And people break this rule all the time because they think, oh, we're reasonable people. We'll just we'll just pick up the phone and talk to them. Yeah. You've got to get things in writing. If it's not in writing, it didn't happen. Before you call We've in... We've heard that. Yes. That goes in our arena too with yeah, contracts. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, before you call an insurance company and say, hey, I'm, you know, this happened, a loss happened, stop and write out your statement. Think about it so you yes. can accurately lay things out and know that if somebody else is involved another insurance company, they're going to look to shoot holes in your statement. They're going to look to construe it any way they can in their best light, not yours. So think about, I'm not saying don't don't misrepresent the facts, of course. but think about how you're going to say what you're going to say. Put it in writing first, right? You, you get free legal consultation. Most lawyers, accident lawyers, will provide uh-huh. some free consultation. Don't hesitate to get that worked out before you file a claim. Um, getting your car fixed, demand factory parts you know, you have a Toyota, Honda, BMW, demand factory parts on your car. They're tested and engineered for your vehicle. Don't yes. accept anything else. There's lots to be said around factory parts, but you can make that demand. Get a written response from your insurance company or the repair shop. Um, I want my car fixed to pre-loss condition with factory yes. parts. Confirm that's happening. Get it in writing. Great advice. So, Jeff, how can you get your vehicle repaired to OEM specific specifications after an accident? Well, so kind of following up on what I just said, uh-huh. uh, you know, one of the things we did, because uh, this comes up constantly when I inspect vehicles and I read a repair order and I say, gosh, you know, Tina, you have a, you know, a one-year-old Toyota. Did you, did you okay all these aftermarket non-factory parts on your Toyota uh-huh. or your Honda, whatever it is? And people say- Jaguar. Yeah, Jag. <laughs> Not less for that car, but uh, people generally say no, uh-huh. no. I told them I wanted factory parts. Um, insurance companies write appraisals generally that start low, and uh, so we created a document. So it's a customer request for proper pre-loss condition repairs, and you can find it on our website, uh, Collision Consulting of Washington CC of um, And it's a, it's like if if you had me standing there with you 
at the repair shop with the okay. insurance company, you get the benefit of my experience, which is a you know statement to the repair shop. Hey, please nice. tell me that you are equipped, qualified, yes. and will make the correct repairs following OEM procedures using factory parts, and you've got a warranty in writing from me. Wow. Um, so it's it's a document people can just, you get to choose where your car's re- repaired. Nobody can tell you otherwise, no insurance mm-hmm. company or elsewise. So choose wisely, do your research, use this document so you get the benefit of knowing what you don't know you know, my experience to get yeah. to get your car properly repaired. Or if it's not, it's it's totaled and you can get another car. Yeah. So, Jeff, what if somebody says, you know, insurance companies, they're all the same, and so I'm just shopping around for the best price. How? What advice would you give them? Well, it's, it's a great question. You know, um, Washington State does consumers no justice with the laws around insurance for auto. Um, there's such a wide variety uh, a wide range of what policies ha- say, and there's not really much consumer protection for auto. Homeowners is different. There's a standard for homeowners policies. They can't just write anything in that. But auto is the wild, wild west. So it's mm. a get what you pay for world. Washington state has basically no standards for auto policies for language that protect consumers. Um, what I can say is do your research. Um, we we're, As service providers, we see a lot of people. We see a lot of claims. We see the companies that are ethical or decent to deal with and uh-huh. companies that are really they are cost driven to drive prices as low as possible. So you'd be good to talk to when making a decision who to go with for your insurance carrier. Abs- absolutely. I'll talk to you offline after the show. Okay. <laughs> I have I definitely have some strong recommendations uh-huh. on who to buy. Yeah. So Jeff, your your car's been in an accident, it's been wrecked, but it's fixed and and it's been fixed well in the way it should be. And what does that do to your value of the car though? So that's a great question. So, you know, qu- question, do you want to buy a wrecked and repaired no. Jag? No. Of course not. And if you were going to, were you going to pay full price? No. Yeah, exactly. So diminished value, your vehicle's lost market value after a loss is something that you can recover. It's a diminished value is the legal issue. Collecting diminished value requires a statement of damages, an expert in okay. opinion, an appraisal. So you can seek out an appraiser and get an expert opinion to of sp- saying what that diminished value yes. is going to be based on that accident. Yeah. Uh, so Collision Consulting of Washington is where I provide those kinds of appraisals. Okay. We investigate circumstances like diminished value, total losses, or even repair cost disputes and provide an opinion so our, our customer can then go pursue their lost value. Got it. So, Jeff, how do you recover your vehicle's lost value? Well, so you're going to make a demand, either the at-fault party's insurance company okay. or, or the at-fault party, right? And that's who's really liable, the at-fault party. Uh, there are limited circumstances where you can make that claim under your own policy, and that's the uninsured or underinsured motorist portion of the policy, uh-huh. right? Which is where your company insures the other party on your behalf, right? Comp and collision doesn't provide that. It's really a third party claim where that uh, is made and you're going to make a demand and it's either, it's either, you know, they're going to pay that claim. They're going to argue with you and uh-huh. you'll have to pursue it either small claims court or if it's a bigger claim, it's part of a, a, a loss where there's injuries and you know, you you need a lawyer for that. If Got it's it. under 5,000, that's small claims court. Yes. So Jeff, as I wrap my time up, I've got less than two minutes with you. I love stories. So do my li- listeners. So um, a story of a learning lesson or a success story, anything, just share a story as I wrap up my time with well, you. Well, sure. So um, getting a, p- purchasing a vehicle, it, it's a major uh, expense, right? It's the second most valuable asset people generally buy. Um, they don't do a good job of investigating those. So we've looked at lots of cars that were you know, pre-owned certified, 
uh, or, or had some statement or good Carfax. And I'm not saying that those things are bad in any way, uh-huh. but they're not thorough. They're not, uh, I've looked at cars that had clean Carfaxes that weren't or the opposite. Okay. So um, having a vehicle inspected is super important. So I've actually inspected cars that were purchased, you know, two days, six days ago kind of thing. And they, people thought these certified cars with good histories were good and they were so badly repaired. Like it was, it wasn't like I'm nitpicking. I'm talking about massive safety issues that people had no idea what they were getting into and they were driving yeah. death, tra- death traps. Wow. So having a vehicle uh, uh, purchased, uh, when you purchase a vehicle, get it inspected. If you've had yep. major repairs done, people like to think, uh, gosh, I went to this place, it seemed fine. I have so much data to say the opposite. Get your vehicle inspected. Safety is so important. And vehicles today, they're not simple. They're very complex, special metals, rivet bonding, gluing cars together. They have to be repaired in a specific manner. If it's not, it can completely destroy the vehicle's collision energy management system. It won't work the same. Yeah. Right? So it's a get-what-you-pay-for world. Going to the lowest-cost provider is not necessarily the, the best thing for you. Exactly. So great advice and and one more importance of um, having that expertise uh, behind you. Jeff, thank you for coming back in, or coming in studio. I'm excited to have you back when we have the panel with all of you guys. Just yeah, really the whole it's, show it's about that. So thanks, we'll have, Jeff. We'll have a lawyer there, too. It'll be good. I'm excited. And coming up next on The Money Hour, investing in low interest rate world. Gary Castle with Mountaintop Advisors right here in 1150 AM KKNW after the short break. Hi, my name is Gary Castle from Mountaintop Advisors, LLC. I'm a licensed, registered, and insured investment advisor and fiduciary. I help small businesses and families in the Puget Sound area with their retirement plans and sorting through the various investment options that can be so confusing. Every type of investment has risks, so it's helpful to have a 30-year professional helping guide you through the confusing and conflicting options that you have these days. My area of specialty is in adding alternative investments to your accounts to reduce risks and possibly increase your gains. These are complementary investments that do not go up and down with the stock and bond markets that most investors already own. By adding these additional types of investments such as real estate investment trusts, business development companies, commodities and others, we increase your safety by increasing your diversification. Why put all of your eggs in two baskets when you can split them into four or more? Visit me, Gary Castle, at mtadvisors.net, it's Mountaintop Advisors, or call me at 253-332-0734. Securities are offered through Titan Securities, member SIPC, and FINRA. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, September 9th show. Bringing in expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it can affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at 1-855-411-50 or go online at themoneyhour.com. Again, that's one 855 If you have any questions for the guests that I have in studio today. Right now, I'm having a conversation with Gary Castle with Mountaintop Advisors, investing in low interest rate world. Gary, thanks for coming back in studio. You bet, Tina. Thank you very much. 
And Gary, again, is with Mountaintop Advisors, LLC, first licensed in 1984. Gary's been a high-volume bank program and at a very well-known credit union. He has a Series 663 and Series 7 licenses in addition to being fully licensed for life insurance and annuities, both fixed and variable. And today, the, the topic, Gary, is investing in a low-interest rate environment or world. And so with interest rates so low, how can an investor find ways to get a decent income for their investments. You know, CDs right now aren't doing so swell. No, they're they're uh, really down at uh, historic lows like you have found with mortgages. Mm-hmm. Most of your listeners will know that uh, they can borrow money very, very inexpensively right now, but it makes it very, very difficult to find any sort of an investment that gives them a, a decent, uh, exciting yield. Yes. So... Most investors have got uh, two types of investments in their IRA or 401k or any type of an investment portfolio. They've got typically stocks or stock-based mutual funds, and they've got bonds or bond-based mutual funds, uh, and maybe cash. But they're really only diversified with those two things, and bonds right now just don't yield very much in the way of income, income, and neither do CDs. So... What do we do? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the predicament that a lot of my customers are are in, especially uh, uh, the the more, my more elderly clients, uh, seniors that are uh, retired and trying to live off their investments. Um, they look at stocks. Uh, the volatility scares them. Prices jump all over the place. Um, the stock market doesn't like uncertainty, and we've got a really contentious uh, election going on right now. Yeah. We just had the, the British exit from the EU. We've got Puerto Rico, and their bonds are you know, in crisis, and maybe terrorism, and all sorts of things. So people are nervous, and that's not good for the stock market. Mm-hmm. So people investing in the stock market have seen wild fluctuations, but they really haven't gotten a heck of a lot of overall growth in the last couple of years. Uh, Bonds uh, could be one of the scariest investments currently from a standpoint of as soon as interest rates do move up, then the value will drop tremendously. Mm-hmm. We haven't really had that happen for 30 years. So people are kind of thinking, what are you talking about, Gary? I thought bonds are really safe. They are, or they can be, but you can also lose a lot of money. And it, recently in, in 2014, uh, during the summer, the Fed decided that they would try raising interest rates, and they raised them uh, only a quarter of a percent. Mm-hmm. If you owned what's considered to be the safest investments of all long-term U.S. government bonds, in a two-month period of time, you would have lost over 14% in value. Wow. If you're only getting paid a couple of percentage points, that's you know yeah. six or seven years' worth of income, yes. and mm-hmm. that's my clients don't like that. Yes. So... That's, that's the risk. But there are other things that have come up because of um, uh, banking regulations and some other circumstances that I think are uh, a good solution. So, Gary, what about investing in commercial real estate for income um, and value of appreciation? How can you do that if your account, the net worth that you have, isn't millions of dollars? The, the easiest way to do that, and that's sort of the area that, that, that uh, the company that I work with, uh, Titan Securities, uh, that's sort of their area of expertise, mm-hmm. alternative investments, non-stock, non-bond uh, types of investments. And uh, the best way to invest in commercial real estate uh, so that you own the building and there are tenants that are paying uh, rent to you uh, 
the easiest way for somebody to do that uh, without having huge, huge amounts of money is to invest in a real estate investment trust. And what happens in that scenario is you and a whole bunch of other investors put pool your money together and mm -hmm. then they go out and can buy the, the property with large amounts of money, oftentimes just walk in with cash and they can negotiate a pretty, uh, pretty good deal. So with the real estate investment trust or, or REITs, they are, you own the land or you own the lots and the buildings and you're collecting rent. So how do you know that, um, that they're going to be sending the income and paying for that? That's a very good question. Uh, I think a lot of people might wonder about that. Uh, they're required to. Uh, they have to send 90% of the uh, income that they generate to the investors. If they don't mm -hmm. do that then they're, uh, they can lose their tax benefits, and that will hurt them a lot. So they work very, very hard to not, to not run into that problem. So they do disperse, and uh, it's a very nice, consistent income, typically, uh -huh. if you are selective and, and get into the right ones. So if determining if you want to invest in to this real estate investment trust, is there some type of previous track record or ways that you can get information to see how they've performed? Absolutely, and that that's one of the key, the key things to look at uh, when you're trying to decide what real estate investment trust do you want to put your money into. Uh huh. Uh, buried in the prospectus, um, in clear sight uh, that people don't normally read, uh, they are required by law to put in their past offerings. They have to put in what did the investors on their previous uh, 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 REITs, how did they fare? Uh -huh. What happened? Did they make money? So if you find somebody that has, uh, has uh, set up and run four of them and every one of them worked out very well for the investors, that's a pretty good indication. Uh, if they've only done two previous and one of them lost money and one mm -hmm. of them gained money, then maybe you should look into it a little bit more carefully. doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad, but you know, it'd be something to look into. So just like probably anything else, the, the more risk that that, uh, that asset or that investment has, then you're probably going in at a lower cost versus ones that are, are have performed better, it's going to cost more. Is that correct? Not really. Okay. I, I, think, the, I think the main thing um, is, is there, are, there basically can be two different types. There can be a very opportunistic type that could mm -hmm. have a very large gain, um, but you maybe it's a little bit riskier and maybe they won't be able to perform versus another one that's very, very cautious and conservative. Uh, they might have a lot of different types of buildings. Uh, they may have uh, very high occupancy mm -hmm. and very high credit quality tenants. You're not going to make a ton, but it's going to be nice and consistent. So there are a lot of different types. Okay. So Gary, what are the, the risks attached to investing in real estate investment trusts? The, the biggest one, uh, obviously, you could, uh, they could buy buildings that go down in value mm -hmm. and uh, they could lose their tenants and maybe not be able to, you know, to perform. Uh, but more than that, uh, if you find somebody that's got a good track record, and right now, especially, I feel that it's a very, very good time to buy, especially if you're doing it this way where you walk in with cash, you're, you're in a much better position to, A, complete the sale and the people will know that. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sure they're going to mention that when they negotiate. Sure. And uh, so, uh, so in any event, um, you can buy low, and that's the first part of the buy low and sell high. Okay. Is yeah. The, the conditions. 
Another thing that's happened is uh, the banking community uh, has had to pull back. They've been restrained now about how much they can invest in real estate. So what happens is they may be only to, uh, if you want to buy a commercial building to operate in, um, you might have been able to get a 90% loan in the past for your commercial property, your warehouse, your office building, whatever. But now you're probably only going to get about a 50% loan. And then you're going to have to get uh, the equivalent of a second mortgage, uh, some other type of financing mm. to get the, the difference in there. Okay. Um, a real estate investment trust, so it makes it very difficult for people to buy. Uh, they, the, the money is not as free as it mm-hmm, used to be. It's mm-hmm. not as readily available. So it's, it's tougher if you've got a building and you're anxious to sell it somebody comes walking with cash, that's that's sure. pretty exciting. Yeah. So let's say that you don't want to limit yourself and just um, uh, buy in the, in, in the U.S. investment options, but you don't know a lot about investing in foreign countries. Would that be a good idea? You're describing most of my clients. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little nervous about the U.S. and they really don't know very much about what's going on in the rest of the world. But that's why they're talking to you, right? Th- that, yes. That yes. would be that would be one of the best reasons for doing that. Uh uh, currently, uh, is about ninety uh, percent of the land in the world is not in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, a huge percentage of the population is not in the U.S., and a huge percentage of the businesses uh, in the world are not in the U.S. So, yes, a person should consider that. And uh, there are some conditions in other areas that uh, that are very exciting, uh, very very have a very high potential and yet lower risk. Yeah. So. So just like anything else, you've got to talk with an expert that understands what you're investing in that can really coach and help tailor a plan that's going to fit uh, your risk and and the money that you have to invest. So, Gary, what about these impact in investing funds? Is this something new? You share a little bit about that? Yes, that's something that you'll you'll start hearing that term a lot more. It's It's been around for a little while, but it's starting to really gain. Uh, basically, with impact investing, what is happening is... Um, uh, they're going out, uh, and before they make a loan to a business, uh, that business has to say that they're going to do something. You know, before you invest in that company, they're going to create a positive impact in their area. They're going to mm-hmm. raise. The, they they pay a higher wage than the prevailing wage. Uh, that company is a, the nice kind of company that might provide uh, free housing for their employees, or they built a school for the local you know kids, or they've done something good. Uh, that's that provides a new, good positive impact. You feel good about it, and yet sure. you still need to get a decent rate of return. So, Gary, if you want a decent return on your IRA so that you can someday rep- retire, that's all what we want to do. But you've heard the socially responsible uh, funds do not perform very well. Are these impact funds the same thing? Yes and no. Um, I've done a little bit of work. I'm not an expert in socially responsible funds. The The, the big challenge with them it's, it's a type of mutual fund where um, they restrict themselves to only investing in certain, they will exclude certain industries. Uh, maybe they don't uh, do any investing if, if a company has anything to do with um, guns or alcohol or tobacco or something like that. But there's no standard definition, so another socially responsible fund uh, might only concern themselves with uh, pollution. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, all the ammunition you want to make as long as you don't pollute. Uh, So it's very difficult for the investor to figure out which one they really want to invest in. The impact, um, like I said, what happens there is that uh, we're still, first and foremost, uh, the one that I'm most familiar with, 
they still want to get a decent return. And there are conditions in certain developing countries where they um, there are no community banks. They don't have mm -hmm. the banks what work. You know, we see them all the time. Every corner, there's a there's a community bank, and they love to loan money to us. But in these other countries, there may only be one bank, one national bank, and that's it, or two. Yeah. And they don't do small loans to small businesses. Now, these are businesses that might have 200 to 500 employees. Mm -hmm. That's bigger than my business. Yes. By a long shot. But uh, but still, those types of companies are good companies. They're, they're maybe in their growth phase. Uh, they, they've got a lot going for them, but they can't find you know anybody that will loan them money. So these people put up these funds. And uh, you have to show them that you're going to do something good in your community, mm -hmm. then we'll loan you the money. And since they don't have a whole lot of sources, they're very anxious to pay that back and probably get another loan the following year and the following year. That's yeah. Well, Gary, it's a, an interesting way of looking at investing. And I think for anyone that's in investing, diversity is, is important. It's also important to know what your investment options are and make sure that you're, um, again, you've got that expert that can kind of lay things out and put a great plan together for you. So I appreciate you bringing this in studio and uh, sharing race with my listeners. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Tina. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and I look forward to talking more money with you next weekend, same time, same place, right here on 1150 AM, KKNW. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC.